Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi-Wright, founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. My guest this week is Brad Jensen. He is the CEO of Key Nutrition and the host of the Key Nutrition Podcast. And this episode is really amazing. Um, Brad has an incredible story of heartbreak and battle with addiction and ultimately triumph uh, that we get into his background and uh, some of the the darkest times in in his life and and his story. Um, And I really appreciate his willingness to come on to podcast and be vulnerable and and share uh, very openly uh, about his background and his struggles. And it is uh, really, really fun conversation. Brad is an awesome guy. You should follow him on Instagram. He is at the sober bodybuilder. Uh, he's got some fantastic, some fantastic stuff that he puts out really great educational content as well as some, some just fun and funny stuff. Brad is fucking hilarious. And I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I had, uh, doing it. We did have a couple of moments where there was some, some audio issues because of internet connectivity. So I did the best I can to edit those out, but, and make it still seem as seamless as possible. But if there's some, some issues in there, please, uh, give me a little bit of grace. I'm doing the, we're doing the best we can with the recording that we have. Um, so I, I hope you guys can uh, can forgive a little uh, awkwardness in some of the audio, but um, it's still an incredible, incredible conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, I also want to take you a second to say that I'm incredibly grateful that you listen to our podcast. And if you haven't, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the platform podcast in your app of choice. It means a lot to me. Um, and if you could support my work by supporting uh, our sponsors, whose affiliate links you'll find in the episode notes, I would very much appreciate it. And of course, if you want to step on the platform and compete in kettlebell sport or you need help with your nutrition, please reach out to me. I help athletes of all levels reach their goals without wasting time using my integrated online coaching approach. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's step onto the platform with Brad Jensen. All right, welcome into this week's episode of the Platform Podcast. I am very excited to welcome in my guest, Brad Jensen. He is the CEO of Key Nutrition in Utah, as well as the host of his own podcast, the Key Nutrition Podcast, which I can recommend. Uh, He gives some great practical nutrition advice to people on that show. So Brad, thank you so much for coming on, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Of course. So tell us a little bit about, about your, your athletic background. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, uh, I grew up playing sports, but, uh, you know, I was a chubby kid and that's actually how I got into all this is, um, I actually just found pictures from a, from a photo album because people would always like, they'd be like, let me see these pictures of you, a fat kid. No one believed me. And, you know, even looking back, I found these pictures of my mom's just, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was dying. I mean, I was thicker than a chocolate stick. I looked like I ate the whole chocolate stick every day. I was a chubby kid. But, you know, looking back, what was funny was I was um, 
Dude, I was just a chubby 12-year-old. It's a really fucking awkward age. It's just the worst age, man. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I look back, and if I could just give that kid a hug now and be like, dude, you know, I hung around. Like, all the kids I played baseball with in football, you know, I'm playing on the line. Like, they put an X on you when oh, you're yeah. a young kid and you're too fat. I was yeah. always had an X. And I'm like, I just want to not have an X. Like, can I just play something out? Like... And, we had the, uh, we had the red we had the red striper on the around the helmet and they called us stripers if you were a striper you couldn't you couldn't carry the ball yeah yeah they had the just a, you're an X man I'm like why don't you just say I'm fat <laughs> like that would be a better way right so I was chubby and the problem was I hung out with kids that were you know I thought they were shredded right I look back I'm like they were toothpicks right so they had like visible abdominals because they were rail thin but I felt like I was the fattest kid alive, you know, and I look back at pictures and I definitely was chunky, man. But I, um, I wish I could just give that kid a hug and be like, bro, you'd be fine, dude. Just got to hit a growth spurt and hit some puberty. So I got into actually health and fitness about 14 years old. And, um, oh, wow. so I was still playing these sports, but, um, I was about 14, almost 15. And, um, I was at, uh, I was at a bookstore cause back in, fucking 1997 people went to bookstores <laughs> and uh my mom was shopping for a book and i remember i was in the magazine section and i saw a muscle and fitness magazine i remember looking and i'm like i want to look like that guy which made no sense to me i never lifted a weight or anything i picked up the magazine i started reading and i was just enamored dude it was the first thing that in my whole entire life i'd been passionate about like i was like i just couldn't get enough and i begged my mom to buy me the magazine and she said no and uh so I started taking my bike there after school and I would go and I would just read and I read the whole encyclopedia of bodybuilding. There's a lot of fucking pictures in it. So that was good. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I read everything I could. Um, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. So I just go there and I just read for hours. I was fascinated by it. And so I started applying what they were telling me. And was, uh, this was, this was like a Barnes and Noble or not, not like yeah. a library, right? They, they weren't giving you a hard time about like, Oh, that kid's back here. Just sitting, sitting, reading a magazine. No, for, dude, they, for never six did. Hours he... they never did, which was crazy. I actually, that's I, a great. I, I got, I got a hard time about that. Like I did the same. It's funny. Cause like I was the same, I did the same thing. Like back when I was in early college days, like I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would sit there for like six seven hours just reading different different things like i would go you know post up at a table and read a whole bunch of magazines and stuff and like after like a month finally like one of the employees came up to me and he's like you know like you should probably buy at least one of these magazines at some at some point you know i was like hey i get a coffee i get a coffee every I time got, like you get your highlighter in there you're like you, know, you, you got the fold pages folded down <laughs> you know they never said anything and i think it's because the, i think there was some like yeah, I remember seeing the same people and they probably thought, you know, I mean, I was a kid, right? And they could yeah. see me park my bike and I'd lock it up. And I think there was just this, like, they had some, they had some empathy for me. Yeah, so, that's good. but, you know, I started applying what these things were telling me and, um, and, and I lost some weight and I also had a growth spurt. And um, then, you know, I actually didn't have to play on the X on the line in football. I actually hit this growth spurt and I lost weight. Little did I know, like I was doing this. I was probably, I wish I could remember following like a bikini girl diet in there. I just remember I cans the tuna yeah. and brown rice and like, it was just the most strict rigid shit, but it worked. And, um, and you know, about the time I got a car and I could drive, I got a gym membership. And what was funny was I fell in love with the gym to the point where I quit playing football because I was so in love with just training, 
that I remember, I'm like, I'm going to have to stop training to do two a days and I don't want to stop lifting. And so, um, you know, just, uh, I quit all sports and I went, I went all in on this and I was a jacked, by the time I was 17, 18, I was a jacked kid. Like I was a buff the football kid. coaches are probably like, what the hell? Dude, they were begging me to come back. And I was like, nah, man, I'm good. Like I, I, I loved, um, you know, it was, uh, a lot of hypertrophy bodybuilding training yeah. and I loved it. And I remember I was that annoying kid that would come up to all the older guys at the gym. And so I still, when those younger kids come up to me, I try to show them love. Cause a lot of the vast majority of these guys, these older guys showed me love. And they were like, Hey, let me kind of show you why you're doing that wrong. Let me show you. I can feel that better. I'd go up to him and be like, why did you just drop that weight and then grab that weight right after? And they're like, it's called the drop set. I'm like, what does that do? <laughs> like I was fascinated by it. I mean, I had my notebook in there taking notes on, you know, progressive overload as a 17 year old. And so that's really, um, you know, and I, and I dove head first into that. And I, I sucked ass at school. I knew I sucked at school. I hated school. And so by the time I even graduated high school, I'd actually completed my NASM uh, certification, my, my uh, CPT. And um, right when high school ended, I got a job at uh, was Bally Total Fitness, which I believe has gone under a long time ago. But yeah. And so um, that's how I got into all of it, you know, and, and that's that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And so that's what I did as a senior and um, and took it from there. Man, that's awesome. Not not very many people have that level of clarity um, to where they're just like, nope, I got it. This is this is the thing I'm going after, and you know, still are still are still cranking at it. So, have you have you ever competed uh, competitively in bodybuilding? You ever done any any shows or? Yeah, I did. So I competed. Uh, you know, my Instagram tag is the uh, the sober bodybuilder, and I make a joke that uh, I better stay sober because pretty soon it's going to be like the not sober retired bodybuilder, like because. <laughs> I no longer compete. And, and I'm not saying I never would again. I just know what it takes away from my life. I know what I have to give up to do it. Yeah. And, um, and I know that that means business and some other things and, you know, maybe, maybe one day, but yeah, I competed in 2015. So I guess, let me rewind a little for your listeners, get some context is I wish I could say that all I ever did, I got that job at 18 and, you know, I'm 36 years old now. And for the last 18 years, all I did was work in the fitness industry, but that's not how it went. Um, late into my high school years, I, um, I didn't drink. I, I, I was partying as a, that chubby 13, 14 year old kid. I was drinking. It was to escape kind of the feeling of just being me. I was getting picked on, you know, and that's also when I got into fitness, but along that way, you know, I remember reading a bunch about alcohol and I remember what I interpreted it as, as a 16 year old was, if you drink, you will lose all your muscle. Now we know that's not the case, but as a young not matured brain. That's how I read it. So I literally was like, I'm never drinking again. I think I'd read one article about how bad drinking is for dehydration on muscles. And I, so I stopped it. The problem is I still wanted to get fucked up. So, um, you know, about somewhere in my, my junior or senior year of high school, um, I got offered some pain pills. And I remember this, how naive I was. I said to him, Oh, I'm not in any pain, dude. And he, they started laughing. They said, no man, they'll fuck you up. Like you're like you feel like you're drunk, but you'll be able to go train the next day. So I was like, I'm in, let's do it. So I took them and I remember when those pain pills hit me when those opiates, it was uh it was like a Lortab or hydrocodone. And the minute it hit me, I was like, that's what I want the rest of my life. I remember I loved the feeling. And so um, you know, I dabbled in that, just you know, kind of partying and having fun. And uh towards the end of my senior year, it picked up. And uh 
by picked up, it means that uh, I was put onto this tip that I could drive from Salt Lake City, Utah to Tijuana, Mexico, which just to give you some context is like 14 hours. It's not like it's four and go to the pharmacy is there and load up on a bunch of pharmaceutical drugs and steroids and pack my door panels full. I take them off. I put those bitches back on and I drive through the border. And I remember the first time I did it, I was scared. Right. And, uh, but I got right through. And after that, it was like idiot savant. Like I didn't really understand the amount of federal felonies I was committing by trafficking drugs across country lines. So I went down there four more times and I started my little entrepreneurial uh, adventures then by uh, starting to deal these to all the different high schools. And of course I had a plethora of Oxycontin and all these other pharmaceuticals. So I was doing them daily, not like excessively, but I was doing them daily. And I also wasn't dealing drugs to people who were junkies. Like I, I, I didn't see the side of like people banging on my door at 2 a.m. because they're sick, they need their fix. I was dealing them to high school kids that would do them on Friday and Saturdays. And so, you know, but, but I also had heard a little, you know, things going around that these are addictive and I'm like, yeah, but I'll just stop them when I'm ready. And, um, you know, towards the end of my senior year, another kid who I known, who I told him about the little gig went down, got caught. And I tell the story only because he went to a Mexican prison. And I remember, I was like, wait, what? They're not letting them go. And they're like, no, they came that I ran out of those pills. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to stop them. No big deal. I was so gnarly sick because I was addicted yeah, and I didn't even really realize I was addicted. Like I did, but I didn't understand what the other side looked like. So I didn't have any contrast. And I went through the gnarliest withdrawals for a couple of days. And I remember thinking, well, this is awful. And um, wrong place, wrong time, wrong person said, Hey, I've got some heroin. And I remember thinking, Oh man, that's no, like, that's like hardcore drugs. There was a line in the sand I drawn where I don't do that. And I remember it was about 10 minutes later, I looked at him, I said, well, make me feel better. He said, immediately. So as an 18 year old kid, I shot up heroin first time. So when I got that job at Valley Total Fitness, um, I was doing heroin. And, um, and it, there's just not a lot of hope in that. Like, there's not like a great story. Like oh, I got addicted to heroin, then I blew up my business. And like, you know, life was great. And I got married and had this great life. Just didn't go that way. And so, um, that started down a really, really gnarly path that uh, like I knew when I, when I intravenously shot up heroin, I knew like this is not going to end well. Like I'd ran out of the drugs because I wouldn't go back down to Mexico and heroin was cheap and it was ready available. So I started, um, I started doing it daily. And uh, by the time I was 20 years old, I ended up in my first treatment center. And I'll never forget when I called my mother, my mother knew I partied. She knew I, she knew I partied. But she had no idea what I, she didn't know was bad. And I said, hey, I, I think I need some help. And she said, what's going on? I said, well, I've been shooting up heroin every day. And I'll, I'll never forget. It was a solid 30 seconds. I was like, hello? She dropped the phone. She was such in shock. And she picked it up and she was like, wait, what? I said, yeah. And she's like, you need to get some help. So I went to my first treatment center um, in March of 2005. And, uh, and I went in that treatment center thinking, okay, I got a problem with heroin, but the rest, like, I'll be fine. I wasn't even legal age to drink yet. So I went in with that treatment center, a lot like people come into a nutrition program, right? Like, 
oh yeah like i you know maybe i'll do this and that but i'm not gonna do the whole thing like yeah i'll pick and choose i'll be fine yeah exactly and so um i had made up my mind that uh i had a problem with heroin but i didn't really think i was a drug addict per se or an alcoholic i didn't really drink much and so um i proceeded to get out of that treatment center and started drinking um and nothing bad happened the first time or the second time but the third time i drank i blacked out and that was weird i, I don't remember shit i was like that was, that's weird the fourth time i drank i ended up finding some cocaine and when i dug the cocaine that led back to the heroin and it was this ongoing cycle man from from what is that 2005 to my sobriety date is november 20 uh november 20th of 2012 so for the next seven years, it was just this game back and forth, back and forth, in and out of rehab. Um, I ended up having 17 bookings into the county jail. And uh, and it was just the same bullshit. Like every time I would get sober, I'd get back into the gym. I'd get buff again. I'd look good. I'd be like, I bet I can do a little bit of this. So I'd dabble in a little bit of this or that. And then within a week or two, it was back off to the races. What do you think it was that, you you kept trying different substances was it denial that that you had a that you just had a generalized addiction problem or was it like where was it you didn't want to give it up or what you know I'm, I'm curious like why do you think it was that you went from kind of one thing to an I mean obviously there's the 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 just the you know the general addictive personality type right and that that's that can always be problematic but why why do you think you didn't realize that having been in professional treatment centers multiple times for for various things like what what was it that that kept you from from having that like aha clarity until 2012 sure that's a great question and and i think this is even applicable for people's health because that's you know what there were it's always kind of this justification of, of this or that. And it was crazy was, so I went to a bunch of different treatment centers and the last one I went to, and that's not even when I get sober. Cause by the time I got sober, my parents were done. They were done with my shit. They were done helping me out. Like it was, uh, I had to get sober the really hard way, which I'll go into in just a sec. But I remember the last treatment center I went to, it was 2009. So about two or three years before I got sober, I remember the lady looked right at me and she said, no, you don't get this. You don't have a drug. Cause by that point I had fully admitted I was a drug addict. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to like, why do I keep bouncing around from substance to substance thinking it's going to prove a different result when my track record shows me it will be the exact same. And she said, you think you have a drug problem. You have a Brad problem. Drugs are your solution. You are your problem. And until you get right with you, mm -hmm. you're going to keep going back and you're going to keep your head's going to try to manipulate you that uh, maybe if I just do a little bit of like ecstasy or I just drink when really it always lands you back to the shit you really love, which is sticking the needle in your arm and being a junkie. And she said, until you get right with you, like you don't have a drug problem, you have a Brad problem. And even though I didn't take action on that, that seed was planted. And I remember thinking, she's right. Like I tried moving out of state. I tried moving there. I tried doing everything. And it was like everywhere I went, there I was. And I was the same broken little kid that started masking his insecurities with, with working out. Now working out was such a great thing for me, but I never learned like how to just like admit that like fundamentally, like I had some issues. And so, yeah. you know, I think it was always looking for some way to not have to really deal with the root cause, which was getting down to causes and conditions. Like, why did I decide to start doing like, 
people don't make the decision as an 18 year old kid to drive to Mexico and like risk all this, like, why was I doing these things? So, um, you know, that that's essentially why, man, is when I finally understood that I had a me problem, not a drug problem, shit started to change for me. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. That, yeah, that's, I was, that's a deep cut, man. Because like, when you say that, you know, I have a, I had a Brad problem and not a drug problem. Like that's, that's a deep cut because like, for me, that was a big, a big thing coming out of my, my dry January was I realized like, this is I've like, this is like a no shit type of epiphany, but it was like, oh my God, the same things that like the same things that I liked about, you know, taking pain pills and the same reasons I like to drink are the same reasons that I overeat when I, when I have a binge eating episode or when I like it, or, you know, like they're all, they're all the same thing. It's all the same triggers. It's like, oh, it's, I'm lonely. I'm sad. I'm, you know, it's like all of the, you know, but it, it ultimately comes back to some internal feeling that you're trying to get away from or mask or, you know, whatever. It was all the same triggers. And I was like, oh, it's weird how like just taking a month off of drinking makes me realize that they're all the same triggers. It's all in a It's all interrelated. And like, you know, it's like, you know, like, I don't have a substance problem. I have a, I have an in, in between my ears problem. Like it's, you know, like learning right. to be alone with yourself and be okay. And like and figuring out what to do with your, your racing mind or your idle hands or, you know, that doesn't involve self-destructive behavior. It's funny. They have this, they have this saying in the recovery community it's called HALT. And it's, it's for hungry, angry, and tired. Those are warning signs. And I'm like, that's my fucking life. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, I'm always like angry, lonely, or tired. Like, I didn't, because I didn't know how to cope. And so, mm-hmm. um, fast forward this a little bit and kind of say how it came to a solution here. But, uh, you know, the last year of my using, it got really gnarly. Like, I had just done my longest stretch in jail, which is about eight and a half months. So I got a year sentence. I got good time because um, I was always a model student in there. So I got out in January of 2012. I'd just done eight and a half months. So let me tell you, I was in there and I was dry and I was sober, but I wasn't actually paying attention to much else other than that. I was still gambling. I got in fights in there. I was still, you know, we were, we were bullying people out of their lunch trays. Like it was the same bullshit behavior. Like I wasn't actually thinking like, why am I feeling this way? What am I like, why do I, you know? I just was dry, but doing the same behaviors because I didn't have access to it. I got out. I had my, my birthday was January 31st. I got out January 27th and I was so hopeful that this was going to be the time, man. Like this was going to be it. And so, um, but I hadn't changed any of the behaviors. And so they talk about with addiction, this phenomenon of craving that occurs in the brain and uh, like, you know, I did everything. So it, it hit me. It hit me like a day out of jail. And I started sweating and my hands were shaking. And I got that gut feeling. And I'm like, kind of feel like I was going to bomb. And I'm like, I'm going to call the dealer. And I remember thinking, okay, there's no way some crackhead still has the same number. They change it all the time. He answered. And I remember thinking, if he doesn't answer, then there's my, there, there's, there's my answer to that. But he did answer. And he told me, yeah, I've got some stuff come, come to this place. So I did everything they told me to do. I was playing the tape through, like they talked about in rehab, like, well, if I drive down there and I start using, this is probably what's going to happen. And like, I didn't even try to, I couldn't even try to convince myself that somehow, some way, some shape or form, it was going to be different this time. Mm-hmm. I knew that by picking up and going it and getting it, I knew that my pattern was I just went. And sometimes they were two week binges. Uh, sometimes they were two months. Sometimes they were eight months, like four months, three months. 
like I knew that I would go off the rails and you know, this doesn't end well. And I'm crying the whole time I'm going down there to pick up. Cause I knew I, I couldn't try to convince myself that it's going to be different. I'm like, you're going to go use, you're not going to show up to your birthday and you're going to fuck everything up. And I still went. So and that's exactly what happened. I didn't draw another sober breath from that day. And I didn't show up to my own birthday party again until my sobriety date of November 20th of that year. So that was about 11 straight months. And that's relevant because my pattern, like I said, was two, three, four months at a time, then something would intervene. My parents, um, the cops were great intervention on me, but my parents would put me in rehab or detox or, and they said, they were done. We're done. You have to find your own bottom. We're done bailing you out. Good luck. And they stuck to it. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that they put in enough boundaries after so many years of chaos because I had stole from that cheat, I lied, the whole works. Yeah. I mean, forged my dad's checks, you name it. Stole, you know, pawned, pawned my mom's jewelry, everything. And so they cut me off and it was the best thing that happened to me. I didn't draw another sober breath and 11 months was a long run for me. And when I didn't have my enabling mother to help me out and bail me out or give me money when I really needed it, it got dark and it got bad. And uh, I was homeless that whole year. And so I, um, and I was resourceful. I never slept on the streets, thank God. And um, I was always staying, you know, trap houses or this or shitty motels or, and I was hustling out there and I was homeless the whole year. And um, very end of that. And, and my pattern was, man, is that I actually didn't look like a drug addict that like, even when I go on my binges, I would still work out for like the first month or two of it. It was crazy and still eat right. Like the only thing that made me look like a junkie was I had track marks. But if I have pictures and I was still a pretty decently sized guy, not like I am now, but like, and so it was this kind of, there's always this cover up that no one really ever knew I was as bad a drug addict as I was. And that last year, man, I mean, when you're homeless, you're not going to a gym, you don't have anywhere to cook food. I gave up, I gave up everything. I lost 40 pounds. I was a shell of a human being. I looked awful and um, in that last year, and, I, and then I'll wrap this up and get into where I'm at today, but um, very end of the year, November, my, my, grand, uh, my grandfather died. My mother called and told me, she said, hey, your grandpa died. And um, she said, I really want you to show up to the funeral. And in fact, Jordan, I wanted to show up to the funeral. I was like, I gotta go, you know, it was a great man. Yeah. And she said, just do whatever you have to do to be right. And, and she, I knew what she meant by that. She meant don't be too high and don't be withdrawing. And uh, of course the day came and I was withdrawing. Uh, I was a junkie. I didn't have any, I couldn't ration shit out because I didn't, I was always just hustling to get the next fix. So we're proceeding to go up to my grandfather's funeral and I'm shaking, I'm shivering and, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay composed and I end up throwing up all in her car. And she was like, you can't go up like this. And she's crying. She said, what do we have to do? So I made her stop by the dealers and, um, and then we were going to be late to the funeral. So she started busting up the highway and she said, do whatever you have to do. So I hopped in her back seat, And, uh, and this was the turning point for me, man, is my mom knew I used drugs. She knew I was a heroin addict. She knew I did math. She knew all these things, but she never actually watched me do it. So I hopped in the back seat of her car and I'm trying to find a vein. I'm cooking up, you know, my syringe, like the whole kit, the whole junky work. And she's looking in the rearview mirror 
and she's just got tears streaming down her face, just streaming, looking back in that mirror, watching me. Like she's not moving her eyes as she watches me shoot up heroin. And I remember the minute it hit me, and of course I felt better instantly, but I kept looking, I looked up in the mirror and it was just the heartbreak of all time. Like the, the, the despair in her face, man. She didn't say a fucking word. She just, and it was just tears. She wasn't even trying to wipe them off her face. And she, she didn't even move her face stoically. She just looked out the window the rest of the ride. And we didn't say another word. And it was at that moment, I remember thinking very clearly, because I'd never actually been suicidal out there, like truly suicidal. Like, and in that moment, I thought you have two options, Brad. You either kill yourself or you, you finally, finally get sober. Like try one more time. The option to keep using and being a junkie day after day and not knowing where I'm going to sleep was not an option. And the first option actually seemed a little more reasonable because it was the easier, softer way. And then I just realized the ultimate act of selfishness I just did to make my mom take me to get dope, my good religious mother, who's never done a drug in her life, and then shoot it up in her backseat just so I could show up to my grandfather's funeral was so selfish. But me taking my life would have been the ultimate act of selfishness. And so that night, I remember uh, I was like, something's got to change. I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, I was pulled over in a stolen car that to this day, I don't know was stolen. Uh, true story. And that, that was, uh, I had prayed. I don't even know what I was praying to, but I said something out there helped me. And that was whatever God I believed in at that time, doing for me what I could not do for myself. I got pulled over, car was stolen. I went to jail and, uh, and I detoxed and it was awful. And I kicked and I shivered and I laid on the cement and the, there's vomit all over me and but I remember thinking, this is the last time you have to do this if you want to. This is the last time. This is the last time. And so I made it through that. And uh, and I got out of jail short 30 days later, um, which was a miracle. And when I got out, uh, it was snowing in Utah. It was cold. And my mother said, I'll come pick you up, but you can't come here. So she dropped me off at a recovery meeting, like an AA meeting. And that's where my journey began. Some guy let me crash on his couch that didn't know me and uh, basically threatened me that if I stole from him, he'd kick my ass. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Platform Podcast. We'll get back to the interview shortly. If you're a loyal listener, you know that I don't typically do interludes, but I wanted to take this opportunity to share some exciting updates. The date is set for the first annual Twin Cities Kettlebell Open. On October 23rd, we will be hosting at the Athlete Lab here in Little Canada, Minnesota, in the heart of the Twin Cities. And we've already got some great sponsors starting to be lined up. Uh, Bellevator from Dennis Vasilov has given two belts for us to give away. Our friend Nikolai Puchlov from the Seattle Kettlebell Club is providing his new Made in the USA Pro kettlebells for competitors to try out and use on the platform, sanctioned by the IKO. Um, additional sponsors include Barefoot Athletics and Gaspari Nutrition as well. Um, and if you have any ideas or connections to other interested sponsors, please reach out to me. Uh, and also, please go register for the event on our website, TwinCitiesKettleBookClub.com. And now, let's get back into the interview. I 
that's where my journey started, man. It was a choice to go left instead of right out of jail. Normally I got out, I'd call my drug friends. They'd come pick me up. We'd go on another run. And I called my mom and, and uh, begged her to come to the house. She said, no, but she took me to the meeting. And then it was just like divine inter intervention after that. Like people just started stepping in and uh, I started waiting tables again. Or not again for the first time ever because I was a convicted felon, didn't know where I'd get a job. And uh, I was waiting tables on a guy who I used to work for, who had a nutrition company, uh, coaching company here locally. And uh, he gave me another chance. And so I started back in the fitness industry about four months sober and uh, dude, I've never looked back. So that was uh, almost exactly probably eight years and some change ago. Um, he gave me that chance, dude. And I jumped in full bore. And uh, you know, when I started helping people, I remember I was on a call with a client and she started breaking down crying of how grateful she was for me. And dude, that was the first time in my whole entire life, I was 28 years old, that I had felt grateful. I got this warm feeling come over me. My heart felt like it was gonna explode with happiness. I was, I was elated, I was like a little emotional. We hung up the call and I was like, I've, I think this is what I've been searching for and a pill and a bottle It's just this feeling of overwhelming gratitude just to be alive, to be able to be of service to other people and get paid for it, which was blowing my mind. And so we ran, I mean, dude, that was the feeling I've been chasing. And I remember thinking, okay, this is what feeling grateful actually feels like. And dude, that's why I've been so big on gratitude ever since that day, because it instilled in me, that's what I was searching for. It was this feeling. And that like, getting down to the root causes of why you, I had to see like, what was I looking for in, in heroin or booze or pills? And it was a feeling of just feeling whole and, and uh, vibrant in, in all these things that came when I started just feeling grateful for just being alive. And so, sorry, that was a long tangent, man. But, um, and that started my journey at to where I'm at today. Oh, that, that's, amazing man that's a that's an incredible that's an incredible story uh, i mean the rock bottom with with your mom is i mean that heartbreaking <laughs> like that you know that uh that's really that's really hard to that's really hard to hear and i can't imagine you know how that felt for your mom how that felt for you but like it's uh a credit to you that it was it was like something like that that it was an emotional an emotional rock bottom um and not the you know, any of the other experiences that, that you, that you, you know, were talking about, like going to jail or, you know, any, many, many of the other, you know, ways that could have been rock bottom, but it was ultimately like the love of your mother and the love of other people that, that like got you to go left instead of right. I mean, that's, yeah, man. It was just, you know, it was that moment of, of desperation, just willing to, to do something different, no matter what the cause. And, um, and I follow, you know, I, I got linked up in a recovery community and they give you this, you know, you find yourself what's called a sponsor. So I was like, what's it? Essentially, all, dude, all a sponsor is, it's just a recovery coach. It's free. Like, and I still sponsor guys today to give back what, what was so freely given to me. But I started realizing why this worked. I met with this guy every week. I had accountability. He gave me application on what, what, uh, what change I need to make. And then uh, he educated me on kind of the hows and the whys of, of all these different assignments and things he was having me do. And that's really what instilled my belief that I tell people when I sign them up for coaching, I said, listen, my, my job is actually rather simple. 
it's accountability, it's application, and it's education. And that all stemmed from what I realized really what I was getting out of that sponsor was he was helping me dive deep and, uh, and it worked, man. And I had accountability to show up and, and it really, really lit my fire for why what we do as coaches works. It's the same principles. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take some of that. So my coaching, um, really since day one, but I would say probably the last four or five years is, you know, really evolved to the point where I tell people, if you just want a guy that's going to write your training programs and your macros, I'm probably not your dude, because I'm going to talk about this. I talk about this being a four legged chair um, of fitness and health. You know, you got your mental health, your emotional health, like your mental fitness, emotional fitness, health, whatever you want to call it, your spiritual health and your physical health. Now I tell clients what you think you're paying me for is just the physical health. But try to sit on that chair long enough when one area is wobbly as shit or the leg falls all the way off, it's going to affect all the other legs. So I have almost all my clients doing some type of morning routine. Um, I find what, what connects them to their spirit. And I don't care if that's a religious belief. They're two entirely different things that I tell people. Cool. If like that makes you feel closer, that's great. If it doesn't, totally cool. If it's getting out of nature, some people that's going out on a hike or walk or I, I, and so I instill all these things in trying to have people hit all these areas because when you have everything running smooth, your decisions and your choices with food, I've seen and I have enough anecdotal evidence that it's inc like immensely better when you're also prioritizing every other area of your health and fitness. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's. I love the framework of, of thinking of it as a, a, as a four-legged stool or a four-legged chair, right? Because you cut one of the legs out. Uh, yeah. If you lean, if you lean back into the side, that's, that's good. You know, you'll, you'll be okay for a while, but eventually you're going to need to shift positions and then you're, then you're going to fall on your ass. You know, right. so I, I love, I love that. I love that framework. Cause it's, it's very simple and, and effective. Um, so what, so what do you, what do you, um, what do you do as far as when you give an example of, of the, of the routines um, like what, what are some, what are some simple practices that, that people can, can put into play? Like what are, you know, just simple, simple tools that you like to use kind of as your, as your go-tos when you're, when you're, when you're getting people started, like, what do you start with as far as approaches? Yeah. I mean, when, when I look at those other areas, so what I really tried to instill, because what was funny was Jordan was uh, when I was in, you know, going through these things called the 12 steps in recovery and going through this whole process in a part in the, in the textbook, it talks about establishing a morning routine. And now what I thought for the longest time was that's just what sober people did. And as I got into business, I found out, oh, it's like a successful human being thing to have some kind of like morning ritual to start your day. And so I don't know why, but I gravitated towards that one more than others. And I was like, cool, I'm going to do that. And so I try to have everyone instill some, some type of uh, morning routine that can, that can hit those areas and it can be longer. It can be shorter. Um, you know, for some people, we're just starting out and it doesn't have to happen first thing in the morning. I think it's always good, but some people have different schedules. So I tell people, we just need to have just even five minutes. Give me five minutes at first. Do a little bit of reading, you know, write, write something you're grateful for. Um, you know, you know, do something to hit every one of these areas. And so I try to instill like something, you know, I tell people, example, my morning routine, it doesn't have to be theirs. You know, for me, I, uh, I either do stretch or I go on like a 10 or 15 minute walk with my dogs. That's my physical part. And I also take a cold shower, which is part of my mental 
grit and uh because it's hard as shit and i want to get that out of the way early so i can everything else maybe feels a little easier yeah how, and, how long how long are you doing your cold showers for uh dude it depends but you know probably two to five minutes and like at first it was like 30 seconds so i've worked up to that but man there's nothing like waking you up first thing in the morning but um i i i it's a very twisted relationship with it because i actually love them but I, every morning i put it on i start the shower and i just stare at it for a minute i'm like i don't want to go in there because <laughs> that first hit when it takes but again for me that's taking part like it's my mental grit and um and you know i move my body that's my physical part um, I hydrate, I try to get some sunlight when it's available. And, um, and then I, I, I gratitude journal and I'll do a little, uh, reading right now. I'm reading the daily stoic again, which is just one little page. Uh, nice. So I'm kind of trying to hit every area there. I usually write kind of a to-do list or some intentions for the day and, and I go about my day, but it looks different for every client. And the cool thing I tell them is you get to make up your own. Let's just disconnect from like all the stress of kids and business and this, and like, let's just get you in the right framework. So I'm really big on breath work and I'm really diving into that. I'm taking this breath work certification course. And so trying to implement that with clients, but uh, yeah, man, I just think your choices of making better, better decisions with your food and, um, and your workouts are significantly greater when you're not an emotional and mental wreck all the time. So who's, who's your favorite stoic philosopher? Dude, I really resonate a lot with like Marcus Aurelius, honestly, probably the most. Um, and I'm really fascinated by stoicism. I haven't jumped in as much as some of my friends like Chase Juning and some other people are really, really meshed in it. But, you know, I find that kind of stoicism is so many lessons to be learned about how we show up and operate on our daily basis. And I'm, I'm wired pretty high, um, you know, they, they they've told me since I was young that I have ADHD and I used to think that was my disability dude now I realize it's my superpower like I can multitask and do a lot of shit um well I think I can multitask we, we don't know if I really can. but um you know stoicism and just the principles behind it it's just slowing down a little for me I can go I mean I've done the thing where you grind way too hard and in fact when I was working with Jason I remember one chat we had and he was like, dude, stop trying to do the most all the time. Like no one's impressed that you work 70 hours a week. I remember telling me, dude, I make three times as much money as you. And I, and I work half as much as you let that one sink in. And then the fucker hung up on me. He was like, <laughs> let that one sink in. I'll talk to you next week. Click. And I remember like in, so with stoicism, it's a lot about slowing down and just being in the moment, being present, thinking before we talk, not having, to, you know, and I notice when I apply those principles, I have to say I'm sorry less because I'm less reactive and I'm more, I just, I'm proactive instead of just reactive all the time. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll pause when agitated, I'll think about what things people are saying. And so um, I'm, I'm really big on all that shit, man. And, you know, when it comes to business, because yeah, dude, I mean, I've done, tried to do the most all the time and it just, uh, there's gotta be a balance and I still probably work too much, man, you know, uh, but I love it. And I'm trying to find better boundaries now that I have a kid and I'm a single dad. And so it's like, you know, it's, he's been such a blessing because he makes me have to like turn off the computer and just be present. And especially, you know, I have him a lot on the weekends and uh, it slowed me down and I'm really grateful for that. And how, how old is he now? Nine months old. Nice. Congratulations. I got my, I got my uh, soon to be five-year-old sitting, just, just came down from his nap and he's drawn me a picture in, in my office. All right, right. dude, that's what I can't wait for, man. 
it's it's great it has its uh, it has its its challenges as well every age does but uh, it's a lot of fun it's yeah for sure fun. man it's a lot of fun so um how many coaches do you have on your on your crew now Which so i've got um got eight coaches that work under the brand and um you know we really um you know we're uh we're we're predominantly um lifestyle focused coaching um you know, occasional, uh, you know, triathletes or, you know, even bodybuilding competitors. I personally don't take those, but, um, you know, make their way in, but it's a lot of lifestyle coaching and, uh, you know, teaching people about the art of macros and teaching them, you know, some basics about training stuff that maybe they didn't know because they do too many Jillian Michaels videos or whatever, you know, big deal. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. did you get, how did you get Sheena onto your staff? Sheena and Sheena and Marty, I think I see on your, on your Instagram profile, those guys are putting out fire. Oh the my Sheena, gosh. The Sheena's Sheena's booty builder, I think uh, is, is, is fantastic. Yeah. You know, what's funny. So uh, Sheena was this, this character I created uh, just was going to do a one and done. And it was essentially, and they knew it too, because they commented laughing, but I just took like, just a lot of my old clients over the, the last eight and a half years wrapped into one and was just going to kind of do one little funny video and call it good. Well, she ended up becoming this hit and uh, dude, it's awkward. I was at the gym the other day. This lady comes up to me, dead beelines over to me. And she's like, you're Sheena. And I'm like, I take out my headphones. I was like, what? She said, Sheena. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh my gosh, we love Sheena. Your other stuff's okay too. But anyways, more Sheena and walks away. And I'm like, kind of offended, forgetting that I am Sheena. But I was like, the way she said it, dude, was your other stuff's okay, which means I don't really like it, but I stay for Sheena. So Sheena's become this uh, this hit that, um, man, the people just keep requesting her. And let me tell you, it's a whole mood when I like put on that wig. I have to really get into character, but it's been fun, man. And uh, And, you know, I think, it's, you know, I'm a character and, you know, uh, like I, I've got a lot of personality and, you know, I've got to credit great mentors along the way, like Jason, who's, who kind of said, dude, stop trying to be like this serious, like, you know, you're trying to put on a front to fit in with this group of guys, you know, um, in, in Jason's, uh, coaching group. And we were, he had like this elite program back then, just 2018 or 19, I can't remember. And, um, he said, dude, just be you. You're goofy. You're funny. People like that. Like quit trying to be serious. Like you don't have to be the super serious dude to be successful in business. You got to be you. And so I credit a lot to him for helping like pull that shit out of me to just be like, just have fun, man. And uh, people still respect me the same, even though I have a wig in my trunk, which is just weird. I really, it stays (laughs) in my trunk. (laughs) And so because I'll well, come it's, film. It's hard, it's hard to tell a former fat kid, like, just be comfortable being yourself. You're like, no, like, that's where my trauma came from. <laughs> but- exactly. I'm like, no, this is terrifying. And, uh, you know, even Marty, the meathead, which I just dropped. What's funny is, is, uh, I mean, I am making fun of a lot of people at my current big box lifetime fitness gym, and they know it because they all came up to me. But I'm also making fun of me back in the day. You yeah. know, that was yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you were the you were the annoying teenager asking the asking the other meathead guys the questions, and then you're going to like, bro, you got to get your anabolic window, got to get your protein yeah, in thirty yeah. minutes after. Yeah, everything, bro. BCAs, the gallon jug. <laughs> I wore a weightlifting belt even if I was doing calves. It didn't matter, right? <laughs> like, in heaven forbid, back then I even did a squat because they were hard. 
right? I mean, it's uh, but it, it's been a lot of fun, and I, and I think any any coaches out there listening, man. I mean, when I started to uh, when when my social media started to do better, I didn't even put a lot of focus into it until probably end of 2019, so November 2019, and um, you know, I just when I started putting more focus into growing that to get more attention, I won just being me. When you look at guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, Gary V has won because Gary V and, and I worked with uh, Jordan Sia was one of my mentors and really helped me uh, expand my content. And Jordan was, um, was Gary's personal trainer. And he said, dude, let me tell you why Gary is one. Gary is the same dude in our training session that he is in an Uber cart ride, that he is in his business, that he is on Instagram, that he is on a talk, that he is in a YouTube. He's the same dude. He is just him through and through. And he goes, and I imagine, I never saw him with this family, but he's probably the exact same way with this family. And Gary V was a huge inspiration to my business. Like, obviously I've never met him, but he had a big influence on how I structured and ran things at Key and from a business perspective. And so if there's any coaches out there listening, man, if you, if you want to like quit trying, don't look at other people's shit and try to emulate it. You have to just be you and you just have to spit out your message. And listen, I sell the most unsexy message, Jordan. Like I, I really do. It is consistency. It's patience. It's calorie deficit. It's, you know, it's, it's nutritional periods. Like I'm not selling anything sexy, like, Oh, be patient, be consistent, you know, um, enjoy your favorite foods, but eat at a calorie deficit. Like there's just nothing flashy about what I'm selling. So, um, because that's what works is just the tried and true shit. Like you train, eat at a calorie deficit. If you want to lose fat, like prioritize the other areas like sleep, sleep is not sexy. And I talk about it all the time. And so I'm finding, I just have to find many different ways to make sleep sound a little more appealing than the last post. That's it. But really like, dude, it's funny. Cause I have all this advanced, um, I've taken, you know, my, my boy, Sam Miller's, uh, you know, his, his hormone certification course. I've taken yeah. Travis Zippers, part of NCI's, his well-fit mentorship where, I mean, did we spend a whole month on just liver detox? Let me tell you how many times I've been to apply that with clients, like one, <laughs> right? It's good to have. Yeah. But let me tell you, like the clientele I'm going after, it's funny because what I'm tempted to do is, is make myself try to look smart on Instagram. But I'm like, that's not my market. Like, the really like more advanced shit vast majority of people just don't care about and it's good to have that knowledge i'm not described it's so good that when i hit a tough client situation or one of my coaches do that i can walk them through it hands down but what's funny when i really zoom out and i'm like dude <laughs> like it's just the basics and really it's helping people get a better relationship with themselves like no weight loss will fucking make you happy if you don't change like I try to really implant to people that the physical results, whether that's strength or fat loss or whatever we're after, muscle building, will be the icing on the cake if you do this the correct way, which I believe fit, it's called a fitness journey. Oh, fitness journey, not a fitness destination for a reason. It is not a destination. There's no end date. So we have to change from the inside out to make the outside results stick. And that's where, you know, by the time people hit me, um, they've usually tried a ton of things and they're willing to pay higher prices. And I tell them, this is going to be much more focused on how can we get you to level up as far as you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually with your family, all these things. And it really, when you kind of zoom out, you know, uh, that's a really like when you look at 
how Jason talks about a lot. It's like getting right with you. So your business can get right. Yeah. And that's the same philosophy I applied to nutrition clients. Like, cool, a calorie deficit will work, but how are we going to sustain that weight loss if you're the same exact individual? Like, you better be changing. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, um, I'm 100% on board with that. The, the mastery of self thing is such a huge piece of it. And I love the, you know, it's a fitness journey, not a, not a destination because you have to love the process. Um, and you have to, you have to embrace it because, um, you know, I, I always try and articulate that we, we measure success in decades, not in, not in years, months, or weeks, you know, it, it, you know, I, I don't do, uh, you know, night, you know, the, the, the 28 day rapid fat loss programs, you know, like it's great for a kickstart, but that's not, uh, that, that's not what, that's not what it's about. Right. You know, you want to, you want to be the guy that's, you know, 60 years old and, and still can still squat ass to grass. Right. And can, you know, go up and down the stairs with his grandkids and, you know, all of those things. Like you want, you want to be healthy for life, not just for, you know, a short-term, short-term duration. Exactly, man. Exactly. So yeah, man, it's an interesting deal because, uh, you know, we don't do 12 week programs. I mean, you know, I don't take a ton of new clients, but when I do, I said, listen, you know, my average client retention is pretty long because I'm going to implement things like diet breaks and we're not going to, you know, and we're going to not be extreme in a lot of areas. And this is probably going to be slower than when you're used to, but you know what the great part is, Mrs. Jones, you're going to keep it off. How does that sound? Like if we do this the right way and almost inevitably, you know, people pay a higher price for, for you know, to work with me and then they drop slower than most of the diets they've done before. But if they continue to stick it out, they keep it all off. And that's what really matters, man. Yeah. You know, if all those crash diets worked, you certainly wouldn't be on a Zoom call with me seeing if this is the right fit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brad, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time, man. I, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm, I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask one more question that I, I, I like to ask uh, people. And always the, the last question is uh, if you could give one, just one tip to uh, well, I'm going to, for you, I'm going to say, let's go back to, to Brad, you know, uh, young, young Brad, 18 year old Brad, what would, what would be the one tip that you would give that you would give yourself uh, when you were, when you were back at that age? Man, that's a good question. What would I give my advice to my 18-year-old self? Um, that's a tough one. You know, because that's really when I started dabbling with hard drugs too. And I, and I think just, um, you know, that would it was- you, would, um, you, would, you change, would, you change, would you change that now, knowing, knowing how much you learned about yourself and, and that journey? Would you change that if you could? No, no. And- like zero percent of it i am so grateful that i went through everything i did and and i'm grateful um every lesson i learned i am you know and and, and to be honest uh to go back to him not that this is like some big uh you know shout out to jason phillips but he was the first person that said dude you're ashamed of your story and I said, no i'm not no i'm not let's check my instagram tag <laughs> and he said, yes you are so i was the first he goes you're gonna you're you're going to do a podcast with me tomorrow. We were actually in Miami and uh, it was the first time I had told my story in detail and, and even more detail than I just told you. Um, and, uh, and it was so empowering, man. And I remember that made a huge shift that I don't regret anything now. I'm so grateful. I went through everything. Like my story, um, 
it has led me to where I'm at today. Like, I'm so grateful. I would not change a thing about it. But I think if I could tell that 18 year old that like, it's okay to not be okay. And more importantly, it is totally, it's not just okay. It like, I would empower, implore that 18 year old to talk about what he was really feeling. Hmm. Like I kept everything inside and didn't want to tell, I mean, again, I tell my mom I'm using heroin, she had no clue. I was a really good manipulator. I could could look the part and cover up what I needed to. And um, I think just, you know, the biggest lesson I know today is that it's just okay some days when I'm not okay. And trying to like pretend like I'm not just shoves this shit down deeper. Mm. It's just okay some days to not be okay. Now it's not okay to stay there for me. I got to get into a solution of why I'm not okay. Yeah. But today when I'm just having an off day and I'm just not okay, I try not to, I try not to get into my head about it too much. Now, if it continues two or three days, there's a lingering problem that I need to address. But some days it's just not. And like, and so I wish I could tell that kid, Hey, it's okay to talk about that. You're not okay. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great advice. I, I love that. It is, it is definitely okay to not be okay. And I think, like you said, getting, letting other people know why you're not okay, or, or even just that you're not okay. And then figuring out why that is like that, that would put, put an end to so much dysfunction before it starts. If we would just be more okay with being vulnerable and, and telling people that we're not, we're not okay. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, Brad, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time uh, out of your day to come on. I really, I really, really appreciate it. How do people, uh, how do people get at you um, on, on Instagram and how do they hire you or get on your waiting list to, to, to be hired if they, if they want to work with you? Um, how do, how do people follow you? How do they get at you? Yeah, man. So I'm the most active on Instagram. It's just at the sober bodybuilder. Um, and that's where uh, you'll find Sheena and Marty and uh, <laughs> more, more videos are coming with that, unfortunately, but uh you know, then our website is keynutrition.com. Uh, you can view all the different coaches on there. Um, you know, but, but honestly, man, my, my, my whole goal was to come on here and, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, give a message to hope some people because addiction runs rampant, uh, with everybody, everybody I know has been touched in some way or shape or form family member, friend, sister, brother, coworker, you know, from, from drug addiction. And so like there is hope and there is a way out and, uh, and, uh, and, and just stick to the basics when it comes to nutrition and training. Just keep, keep laser focused. Be ruthlessly patient and understand that like this shit takes time. Real fat loss, real muscle, like this This is a perpetuity deal. It's never ending. You're always going to have to put some emphasis on this. So um, yeah, keynutrition.com. You can find anything on there. You can go to the coaches section, but, uh, and the podcast is the key nutrition podcast. Um, and uh, that's been wildly successful as of late. Um, so I think we're on episode 250 now. Ooh. And uh, I, I love this. I love the podcast platform. So yeah. um, we'll definitely give you a subscribe. And um, yeah, if you guys do the same for me, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Brad. I really appreciate it, man. I look forward to connecting with you in the future. You're the man. All right. Thanks, Brad. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi Wright. If you have a question, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub, on Twitter at TCKBClub, online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com, 
And please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.